Hi, and welcome to Fassifern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. 3 John 1, 1-4. And uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. So here we go. Uh, the Elder. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Behold, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. A bit like this morning, I suppose. Um, Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Uh, John, the disciple that was closest to Jesus, uh, the disciple who had his head on Jesus' bosom in the upper room, um, the author of the gospel and these three epistles, he commends and encourages Gaius and in that there is so much for us to learn in these few verses. Um, part of the challenge here is while he mentions Gaius, he's not giving too much details away because Uh, the great persecution that they're under at this time. And so, but he makes it very clear and straight. It's not like we've got to try and break the code or anything. Um, But he commends and encourages Gaius. And and in that, there is so much for us to learn. Uh, For us, in this church, I'm talking specifically, for us, it's it's a very uh, similar very similar commendation. For us, it's a very similar encouragement. But for all of us, because some of us are actually on the way to this and starting to live in this uh, as well. So, But for all of us, it's a model worth reproducing. Uh, what we see in Gaius, what, what John commends in Gaius, is something that we need to take note of and, and reproduce. So John's revealed a link between prosperity, health, and the condition of the soul. And while we are aware that there is no guarantee of these things, there is a spiritual truth about it that is closely linked to the purposes of God. And I'm, I'm going to go back to Jeremiah 29.11, a memory verse that most of you will be familiar with. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and, and a hope. And so we are assured, with this and many other verses, that God has a plan for each of our lives, right? So we have to keep that in truth, because this, this prayer that John prayed over Gaius, I, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your pulse prospers, is connected to God's intention, God's plan for the rest of our life, right? It's just that sometimes we misunderstand what he means when we talk about prospering. And and we want to look at that a little bit today. So John's revealed the link there between prosperity, health, with the condition of our soul. And, And while we're aware there's no, I have to repeat this, because this has been grossly mistaught, this is not a guarantee that if your soul's doing well, you're going to have lots of money and you're going to live a long, healthy life. Because there's many in the Scriptures who served God faithfully and obediently who didn't. Right? 
But at the same time, there's a very strong link to prospering connected to the thing that God's called us to. Right? Whatever God's plan is, whatever he's called us to, whatever he created for, there's a link between that and when we're entering into that and the prosperity, not necessarily just money, but the enrichment that comes to do that. So the only uh, challenge I see is really trying to get a head around what it means to prosper. I, I said the other week there's two, only two kinds of people in the world. There's those who follow Jesus and those who don't. But the difference between them is minuscule. We look at some people, people we love and care for, and it looks like they're a million miles from God because of what they're doing, because of their lifestyle. But the truth is, they might be a million, their lifestyle, what they're doing, might seem to be a million miles away from God, but the truth is God is only one step away from them. And it only takes one expression of faith or one expression of love or gratitude towards God and everything can change. And there's testimonies. <clears throat> I'm looking at one of my best friends sat there and I'm thinking his story fits in this really well without wanting to embarrass him. But there's many in this room who can verify this is the story of my life almost. You know, I was a million miles away from God. All my lifestyle, all the stuff I was involved in, it wasn't godly at all. And then one thing happened which made our hearts move towards God. Now, now I'm hesitant now about talking about how you get saved because we're seeing more and more that, is, that people got saved before Romans 10. Uh, but the deal is that um, it's not a sinner's prayer that does it. You know, the thief on the cross proved that. It's a heart that starts to respond to God. In the, in the most minuscule way, the heart responds and God says, that's it. You're going to be with me forever. And so while most of us in this room can identify that, we need to understand because our rituals, our tradition at times, uh, we, we say salvation is this. You've got to say the sinner's prayer. You've got to repent. You've got to say the sinner's prayer. Uh, you've got to do the new members class. You've got to do the basic Christian understanding. But, but, but the truth is, it's just your heart. God getting the attention of your heart and your heart responding to him and bang, that's enough. So while they look like a million miles away, the truth is, and here's the thing, we can't make that happen as we just told so well from Tony. You can't make that happen. It's their response to God. So God gets their attention somehow and they're just atomized, if you like. There's just an... This is just a, that little response and bang, everything can change like that. And so uh, the two kinds of people, those who follow Jesus and those, follow don't, those who don't follow him. Um, but I, I want to emphasize that the difference is minuscule and it could dramatically change at any time. Um, so it's similar now. I'm going to say a similar thing from those who follow Jesus. There's two groups of people in those that follow Jesus. And, and there's a wide variety, there's a wide scale, if you like, uh, but the extremes of the scale are this. The, the difference in those that follow Jesus, there's some who are sold out to the Great Commission. Their priorities are Great Commission-based. Everything's about the Great Commission. One way or another, 
That's what's important. That's what they give themselves to. That's where they work. But then at the other end of the scale, it's all about me. Now, I'm not disqualifying them. I still count them in the number of people because I don't understand the definition of what it takes to be saved except that heart response. So even though right now it might be just all about them, the deal is they, do, they have responded to God. So his grace is so wonderful, I've got to say, well, that's enough. But on what we're talking about this morning is that, that scale from where two different kinds of people, there's a lot of variation in between as we journey from one end to the other, but it starts off with, where I'm the most important thing, it's all about me, what I want. To those who, no, no, Great Commission, everything, willing to lay my life down and give everything I've got for the Great Commission. Could you, would you agree with me this morning? Did I say that, explain that well enough? Uh, because it is important as we, as we get into this. Um, so, uh, for some people, it's all about the Great Commission. For others, it's more about me, all right? But in Matthew 6, just to convince you of the argument, another memory verse that you'll be well familiar with, and I'm, and, and I'm focusing on 33, 633, you already know it, but I'm going to read 31 to 34. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or what phone shall I use, or what car shall I drive, or where should I live, what's my address, what occupation? No, no, he says, uh, for, all, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so um, I want to tell you, now remembering where we are, we're in 1 John, and we're talking about that prayer. I pray that you will prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers, right? Well, that's basically what we're unpacking right now. Uh, but I want to uh, suggest, oh, not suggest, I want to highlight the truth that this Matthew 6, 33 is one of the things that attracts the blessings of God according to the purposes he has for us, right? Straightforward. I know you all agree with that and not anyone here will argue with me, will you? Not publicly, at least. Uh, you might be unhappy if I've indicated or suggested that you're at the wrong end of the list or the scale when it comes to uh, a Great Commission or not, but the deal is that just the truth, that's just the way it is, and we understand and accept that, believing, of course, that we're always moving towards the other end of the scale. Um, so here we are. John, 3 John, sorry, 3 John 1, 2... Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, this was written in the common Greek. And according to the common Greek, it was written in a way that very much relates to the blessings of a journey. And so we would say, have a good trip. Or more accurately, this verse is all about, I hope your trip, not trip, I hope your journey is successful. I hope it goes really well and it is successful. Of course, Gaius wasn't going anywhere. Now, Gaius is mentioned five times, I think, in the New Testament. And I suspect not all of them are him, but a couple of them are. But right now, at this stage of his life, 
you know, it could be the Gaius who traveled with Paul. Um, it could be, there's another Gaius there. There's Gaius mentioned several different times. You did some amazing things. One in Ephesus is just unbelievable. But anyway, um, the point is, at this stage of his life, he's not going anywhere. So when he says, I hope that your journey is successful, John's not talking about, I hope your trip goes really well. He's talking about the journey of his life. He's talking about the journey of his life, the, li- the journey that he's on in relationship to Jesus right now, right? And so and I hope this journey is successful. And so um, and, and, and we need to look now, if, if you agree with me with that, we need to look at then, okay, some people have seen some stuff that causes, and told John about it, that causes John to be really blessed, really excited and celebrating, that highlight the reason, if you want, and I don't know if it's the right word yet, but for Gaius' success, why he is prospering, right? So here we go, and I'm going to read from verse 3 and 4 again. I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So, so what does walk in truth mean? And, and part of that, a big part of that is um, making sure you have the right doctrine. Because, you know, back then there was like misguiding doctrine everywhere. There was a mixture of Judaism uh, with, with Christianity, with grace, and it just wasn't working. And, and there was all sorts of people trying to pull strings everywhere. But what? John is saying to Gaius, right, he is, oh, you know, you've got it right. It, it's literally all about love. And so that's part of this walking in truth, but there's something that's a whole lot more on top of that. Um, he's got the right doctrine. Of course, he's got the right doctrine. But this walk in the truth is about the consistency and and. I looked for that word for ages to try and describe what I was thinking. But I, I think it's the right word. There's probably a better one, but I think that's the right. It's about the consistency. And it was the, it was the witnesses saw his, him being consistent in what he was doing. That really caused him to stand out. That got them back to John and said, that Gaius, man, he's really switched on. He's got it. Why? Because he's consistent in this love stuff. He's not impartial. He's just consistent in this. Uh, So what he's saying is it was so evident in his life to everybody who encountered him that he was living out what he believed. Okay? So it is important that we have good doctrine. It's, It's important that we have the right doctrine but it's more important that we're consistent with what we believe. There's no bias. There's no partiality. It's consistent in every area of life, no matter who we meet. So I want to go a little bit further on that. Um, You could tell what he believed just by watching the way he lived. There's a challenge right there, isn't it? You know, I don't think I've ever told or witnessed to live intentionally with my neighbours, I'm trying to build relationship. 
but it's very obvious by the questions they ask me that they suspect what I do. I've, I've even, we, we chat, good morning, how are you? Yeah, good, how's your day? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're getting to know them better and better. And uh, you're going to work again? Because, you know, I get the high vis and the stained clothes on that come on Tuesdays and when I'm on the block. Yeah, yeah, got a lot to do today, have you? You know, they're playing me for the, really good. Uh, we even talked about English football because they're both Pomish, they're both English and, uh, and uh, the lovely old lady, uh, she supports Chelsea and I support Manchester United. Her husband supports Manchester United. So we have a lot of conversation about that kind of stuff. And she even said, um, tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll wager you that Chelsea will beat Manchester United next time we play. I went, yeah, okay, you're on. And she goes, well, what are you going to give me when they win? I said, well, what do you want? And, and she talked about gin and this and that and tequila and... And I went, oh, okay. Uh, well, well, and she said, well, what do you want? I said, one of those pies that you make. Because she used to make the pies for the commercial. Oh, okay. And I said, so it's a deal? She said, yeah, yeah. So if they win, I'll get you one of those mini bar bottles. And if you win, you give me a pie. No, we never said that. Anyway, it was, it was just a joke. We were just joking. And anyway, the game they were supposed to play got cancelled. <laughs> um, praise God. <laughs> I didn't want to go in. Have you got a little bottle of vodka or something? I don't know even if they sell them. But um, next time I go to, hell, uh, to a hotel, I'll pinch them from the, butt, the mini fridge. <laughs> oh, that's not Christian either, is it? Um, anyway... <laughs> So we've been, we've been having this conversation and uh, I can tell that they, that they suspect. And it's, it's a bit of a game, and I, but my ultimate aim, of course, is to get them to Jesus and to church. Um, I'm missing them the last week. They haven't been around. Uh, so the point is at least with that neighbour, something we do indicates that we're living what we believe. Oh, do you and your wife drink? What, what does your wife drink? Uh, water, coffee. Um, so don't you like alcohol? I said, well, yeah, we're not against it, but, you know, we, we choose not to. Uh, you know, just trying to be honest at the same time, not trying to give the game away. But the question is, I suppose, on a more serious note is, um, what about your neighbours? If you never told them, you know, if you didn't have the Jesus sticker on your car and the T-shirt you wear, and you never verbally witnessed to them yet, um, would they know that just by your lifestyle? Anyway, that was extra quiet. Um, so, question is, I suppose, could people tell what we believe by watching the way we live? Because here's, here's the, to the degree which you believe, um, you start to live what you believe. So, for example, if, if you believe you're forgiven, 
to the degree that you believe you're forgiven is to the degree that you actually live like you're forgiven. And with those watching your life, would they realize that you know that you're forgiven? And that, that's just the first one, but there's plenty more. Um, uh, you'd be free from shame. You'd be free from guilt and condemnation. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be imprisoned by your past Although you, there's obviously some form of regret, you wish it never happened, but because of it, God's turned that around and now you're a better person somehow. I don't know how he does that, but he does that. Um, if, if you believe that there's a reason that you exist, if there's purpose of your life, to the degree that you believe that there's a purpose for your life, it's the degree that you start to live, that you have purpose. And the people who are witnessing your life, they will say, well, this person thinks there's a reason, a purpose for existence. It's obvious in the way. You get what I'm saying? And, and the list you got is it's the same with so many different things. Um, the degree to which you believe you're a child of God is the degree to which you'll live like a child of God. And those who are witnessing your life, would they... See, the key word is consistency. And, and there's probably better words, but that's the only one I could think of. Because it's consistent. Um, there's no impartiality. It's just consistent. So let's get to the things, the details of what people experience with Gaius. And, and just go to the next few verses, 3 John 1, 5 to 8. John actually still writing to him, Beloved. He did love him. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So I find that a bit intriguing, especially that verse that says, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. So this very much relates to the opportunity because the way he's talked about love, he's beloved and he loves and he's shown that love. This talks about, very specifically addresses the opportunity to express that love. Um, to express God's love through you. Through what you can do. Through your calling, your gifting. By whatever means you can. So John said, I've, I've heard the stories and they all confirm it. Now, they're either... People who've gone out to minister, Gaius didn't know them, complete strangers. They might be, and in the day, and it still happens today, but mostly in that day, teachers were sent out and they would go from church to church and teach. Come to Gaius, he'd look after them. He'd host them, he'd feed them, he'd care for them, he'd put them up if necessary and, and he'd send them away with a financial blessing. Right? There was teachers, there was evangelists, there, there was prophets, there was apostles, there were 
they're going from church to church in the day. But Gaius, he, because he had a heart for the kingdom, his bit was to look after those. Um, hosted, served, financially blessed, all these ministers. Think about that. Do you think it was a coincidence that John specifically prayed that he may prosper in all things and be in health just as his soul prospers? Do you think that was just a significance? Because I see here it was very much related to what he was doing for others. We could be tempted to think, and it might be true, that John specifically prayed that prayer for him because that was what he was doing. And John's basically asking God to resource him to continue and increase doing it. Not just a throwaway greeting, but John's specifically praying for him. And, and, and it looks very much to me like John's heard and had testimony, witness of, of what Gaius is doing. And, and he's now praying for him that God will bless him so he can do what he's doing more. Does that make sense? You could even look at this and say, well, you know, it could be because that's what he's sowing, John's praying is that's what he'll reap, that he'll prosper and be in health, even as he sows, because these ministers who were going out to bless churches, to build up the church, they would come to him and he would welcome them, he would host them, he would feed them, he would care for them, he, he would financially bless them on their journeys. So, that he, so you've got enough for your journey. So you could say that John's praying that he will start to reap what he's actually been sowing. That could be in the prayer. But, but I think that's part of the prayer, but I, I personally, leaning on the thing, John prayed this prayer so that God will resource him to keep on doing what he's doing and even do it more. Or do you think it's just a coincidence? So I remember when I started looking at this and basically I was investigating the Christmas greeting, the traditional seasonal greeting. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. And so I did some research of where that came from and it came from old England, a Catholic bishop. Uh, he was, anyway, I, I won't waste time. But, but it has a biblical meaning, a biblical background. And, and I think that the good news of the reason we celebrate Christmas, that truth of, of a saviour being born, coming to save the whole world, does bring great joy. But then as we grow in that, there's a prosperity and a prosperous new year. So you're supposed to prosper as you grow in that truth, in that reality. And I think this is what we've seen here. So um, here's the thing. So could God... I remember saying, this is a weird thing to preach since Christmas is already gone. Maybe I should save this for next Christmas. And, and if I preach it next Christmas, you've got to act like you never heard it before. But I really felt it was timely. And part of the reason is that our whole missions program has changed. It's changing, has changed. Uh, India is changing. 
because of government pressure and persecution, the need's changing. There's still a need. Um, Indonesia, because of the change in compassion, uh, our connection with the uh, church partnership is changing. Not ending, just changing. And I really felt God really put it on our heart now that, you know, there's, there's opportunities. Because we've been faithful in little things, He's given us bigger things. Doors are opening. And, and not just for Jane and I, not just even for this church, but remember the church isn't the building, the church is the people. The people that make, this, that make us a church, actively involved in this church, there's, I was going to say repercussions, but that's not the right word. There's blessings that flow because of our connections, right? And I really believe significantly that God's saying, okay, you've been so generous, You've been so committed to this. You've proved your faithfulness. I'm opening the doors to the next level now. And so my prayer is now that we all, that you all, would prosper and be in health. Not because I want you all rich, although I do, but I want each and every, I want our, every individual to prosper. For me, that's growing in God and discovering and walking in his purpose for our lives. For I want every marriage to prosper. What a witness it is. Every time you hear someone say, oh, I've been married 40 years. And then we go, staggered. I used to stagger when I met people married 60 years. Who'd been married 60 years? Well, actually, I've met few. But now people are staggered if you've been married more than 15, 20 years. I want every marriage to prosper. So that, that means the people coming together, being made one in God, have discovered that, that there is a reason and a purpose for their oneness, and now they're walking in that. I want every family to prosper. And the list goes on. I want, I want our church to prosper, but, but I want our community to prosper. I'm so excited to hear about the different developments in the business realm of our Community here in Calbar and Boona and Arachula, things are happening and there's growth coming. And, and, but things are changing with that too. Um, there's some things we need to fight to hold on to, but there's some things we need to let go and just happen change. And good riddance for that. But anyway, the deal is um, I believe now that God's opening the door, if you like. And whether you think it's you sowing, uh, reaping because you've sold, or, or whether you think... God's going to bless to resources to do what we do better. I think this is timely. So, as I said at the beginning, God, John, through God, through John, commends and encourages Gaius. But he just, God not only commends and encourages, he also instructs, he leads and guides. And the people who start to embrace that and open up to that. Now Gaius was known for his love. Forget the other stuff. The, most thing, he, the thing he was known most for was he loved. He loved people. He loved people because he knew he was loved. I mean, if you were saved under the ministry of John the disciple who Jesus loved, 
John, the one who lay his head on Jesus' bosom. John, who was the, the only disciple at the cross. John, who was the first to the tomb. Hey, wouldn't you expect that if you've been saved and discipled and mentored through that disciple, one of the biggest things in your life would be love? Gaius was known for his love. But he only could love because he knew he was loved. We need to be reminded that you're loved. I know some of you think you don't deserve it, you don't earn it, and, and question if you really are, how can he? One of the biggest things that Jane got out of the a Ukraine trip to, uh, to Turkey was all those ministers thought they were being punished because they disappointed God one way or another. And she had the privilege of showing them that no, God loves you, you are loved. And when they started to get it, radically transformed their lives. Praise God for the ministry of the Spirit. So often we speak on you concentrate on tongues or prophesying or some kind of financial, not financial, some kind of spiritual awe and wonder kind of gifting. But one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is he comes and he lets us know that we are loved. You're loved. And out of that being loved, you can then love. Gaius loved because he knew he was loved. Can we take communion right now? As a reminder of how much God loved you. As a reminder that you are loved and it's all about love. And I want you to know that you're loved so that you can begin to love. So he took, pull back that first film, take the wafer, represents the body, was broken for us, let's eat together, shall we? We peel back the second layer so we can drink the juice that represents the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. All because... He loved us, for God so loved the world. God loved you. Why do we do that now? Jane is completely unaware, but I'm going to pass the mic over right now to her to lead us from this moment in, in prayer or whatever she feels to do. Can I have a team, please? Please. God wants to prosper you. Church, we do have a dying world that needs to experience the love of Jesus. 
a world that's looking for many different ways to get their answers, different ways to be healed, different ways to be accepted, different ways to try and live life. I only know one way. And that is by receiving the love of God. You know, when we was at this planet boom, one of the guest speakers was a man called Reggie Dabbs. Reggie Dabbs has been around for a long time. My girls, when they were in youth, they would go to Youth Alive and listen to Reggie Dabbs. And, and uh, you probably did too, Jared. Ever heard him? Yeah? So it's like... <clears throat> He got up and he shares his testimony. He is now over all the schools in America. In America. And he goes in and he speaks his story and the love of Jesus. He's one of the most brilliant communicators. We think Shane Willard's good, but on another level, he is good. But on another level, Reggie Dabbs just, just captivates these children. And at Planet Boom there, there was an eight-year-old. And he just presents, he gets their attention. What was it? Turn your phone off. Look me in the eyes. So that's how he starts and he captivates their, their attention. And every now and then, he, turn your phone off, look me in the eyes. Turn your phone off, look me in the eyes. And um, then he starts sharing his testimony. There was not one dry eye in that place. He was a little, obviously he was a little boy. <laughs> and his mother had three children, three children, and gave him away. She told him he was a mistake and that she didn't love him. And so he was put into this foster care, but they were aged people. That's a nice way. Age people. And so he used to go to school. He never had a last name because in America they don't give you a last name if you haven't got your father's name. So he's just Reggie. And so he'd go to school and he'd, he'd question in his mind, he'd be thinking, why haven't I got a last name? And why is my mum and dad old? Because they were older than all the other kids' parents. And so he wrestled with this and wrestled with it until one day he just shouts out, Hey, why are you old? And all the other kids' parents are young. Why don't I have a last name? Anyway, the foster parents took him aside and they started sharing the story, you know. You're not ours. You're fostered to us and your, your mum and dad didn't want you. And he obviously was crying. But he breaks down and the, the parents, you know, they just said that they loved him and everything and, and, and just uh, were Christians and helped him and shared their love. And then at the age of 12, 13, he, he just had enough because he was so different. He got his first surname at 13. He didn't have a, a surname until he was 13 and got fostered out, uh, adopted out. And so at 12, he was giving up and he, he just got up one night to commit suicide. 
And this is where I'll cry. Because the, the people who fostered him, the dad had noticed that for two days, three days, he hadn't hugged his mother. And so, Reggie Dabbs got up to take his own life. And as he did, he saw that his bedroom door was open. And as he went to the bedroom door, there was his foster dad with a pillow lying at the door. And he says to him, he said, oh, what are you doing there? And he said, the foster dad said, I knew you'd been troubled because for two nights you haven't hugged or come for a love touch. I knew you were troubling, I've been praying for you. And it was that. This, this man was a janitor all his life, but he had the love of God that he could love this kid the way that God wanted this Reggie Dab to be loved. And so he'd laid there, and as Reggie came out to take his life, Jesus stepped in because someone loved the extra mile. That's the kind of love that I believe God's wanting to impart into us, that we can love the unlovely, that we can reach the one with the love of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.